0: Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you this morning adoring and magnifying you and your Son. We thank you, our Lord, for the sacrifice you made for us. You gave your life so that we could be free. Free from guilt, free from punishment, free from the power of sin. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the Holy Spirit in us that guides us in truth. And we ask for that this morning, Lord, so that our lives might more and more glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. I'm seated. Well, I did want to let you know that the uh, notes are now online. Right? That's just a picture. I can't click on that or anything. But they are online, and I've learned... That you go down here to the little bottom where it says resources and you click on that and then it will pull up those uh, resources for you the PDF of that and you can have that available and go over the notes and listen to that if you haven't had a chance but many people ask about that so those are available Um, so today we start part four part three one two and three are on there and also I'm going to put together just so you know in advance a little uh, insert if you will it's like this. Um, it has an outline of the things about we're talking about and teaching about on giving, and on the other side, it has that. So I just keep one of these in my Bible, because people are always asking about giving and different things like that, and maybe in counseling, and so it's a nice thing to keep handy, and so if you want one of those, we'll have some of those the last week um, cut and printed out for you, but if not, that will be online later as well, just to kind of know where we're going. So... As we continue, though, in our study on giving as an act of grace, I hope that you're finding that these truths from God's Word to be nourishing to your soul. That they're helpful and strengthening your faith in God's Word and in giving and in helping others. And they're encouraging for your walk with the Lord. Because that's what God intends for these things to be. If you have not practiced regular giving, I hope that you're beginning to start to practice regular giving because it's a wonderful blessing that God has intended for our lives. And there are few areas in the Christian life that can be more fulfilling or exciting than giving, especially when we give according to our ability and beyond our ability, as we see we'll see today. And we know that these things are here for God to teach us and to show us how to be more like Christ. Everything that he gives us is to help us to grow in sanctification, become more like his son, right? And so when we learn more about giving, it helps us to grow in those areas because we kind of struggle with this one sometimes, right? And someone said it very well. God doesn't use giving. Let me read this for you. God is not, God, God, giving is not God's way of raising money. Giving is God's way of raising children. And so it helps us to become more and more like Christ. Just keeping that in mind. And so our Lord has left us these instructions about how we can give as an act of grace in 1 Corinthians 16 and then 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And I've called those evidences of giving as an act of grace. And we have seen so far... That giving is an act of grace when we give regularly. As they saw in First Corinthians sixteen, on the first day of the week they would put aside, were to put aside and save. And that was the regular practice of the church. Now for this particular offering, it was for the Jerusalem need there, it was a special offering, but it was their regular habit to do that, and it's our regular habit of giving the first day of the week. And so giving to the church should be regular and consistent and systematic, not irregular, subjective, or whenever we happen to remember it we also saw that giving is an act of gaze, grace when we give individually paul says that each one of you should be doing this and so each believer individual believer should give from whatever they have and not rely on others to do all the giving and third giving is an act of grace when we give in spite of difficult circumstances as we saw last week the church at Macedonia as the example for the church at Corinth that Paul used was in a great ordeal of affliction and in deep poverty and yet they still wanted to give to meet the needs of others and so we found our principle that when we have received the grace of God in our lives difficult circumstances will not keep us from giving fourth then giving is an act of grace when we give joyfully Even in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their poverty, they had an abundance of joy and it resulted in the wealth of their liberality. They gave generously. And so we found that when we respond to meet others' needs, God fills us with His joy. And it's a wonderful way that that works itself out. But when we also give generously, it is giving as an act of grace. We saw that in the wealth of their liberality. So freely giving more than is necessary or expected because we have freely received abundantly more than we could have asked for or imagined in Christ. And so we give generously, liberally, meeting or giving more than is necessary or expected, as the Macedonians did as well. We also saw that giving is an act of grace when we give proportionately, right? According to their ability or how much income they had, we saw also in verse 12, it was according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. And we found that we need to give proportionately. Christian giving should begin according to our financial ability. Now, I want to go over a couple of things with that again because there was another great question we need to look at. All right. So, a few points we had for clarification was, God does not expect you to give what you do not have. We should not go into debt to give, and it is unwise to meet a need, knowing that it will make you the one in need, right? Now, there was a great question that came up last week, and it was, should wealthy believers give proportionately more? Hmm. Well, there are some biblical principles found about this particular aspect, and the answer is, well, they should consider giving more, right? Because they have been blessed more. We have a standard of living, and we some people earn much more than they need to keep their, to meet their needs, and so they can give more. So we'll put a little principle out there. As God increases what we have, we should consider giving more. Okay? As God increases what we have, we should consider giving more proportionately, right? Choose to consider as First Timothy six, seventeen and eighteen and Luke 12:15 to 21. Now we looked at 1st Timothy 6:17 and 18 last time, and it says, "Instruct those who are rich, particularly talking about this, those who are rich in this present world, not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future." So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And so here's a specific uh, aspect of giving. We talked about that in the context of being generous. But specifically to rich people. So we're to instruct those who are rich. If you're rich, here's the instruction for you. You should be ready to share and give generously. Because your ability is more than others. We also see in Luke chapter 12 and verses 15 to 21. When Jesus talks to the people about money in particular... He said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul. You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Specifically talking about those who God has blessed with more than they need. And so there's a principle there as well. And so as God increases what we have, we should consider giving more. The next last part that we had on our points for clarification on proportionality and being giving, giving proportionately is that proportionate giving does not exclude sacrificial giving. It does not exclude sacrificial giving. And that's where we are today. We're going to begin at number seven. Giving is an act of grace when we give. ...sacrificially. If you look at Second Corinthians chapter 8, it says there, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you, verse 1, the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord." And so, according to their ability they gave, and beyond their ability, or sacrificially. Now, the Macedonians, they were impoverished, right? And they had other difficulties going on. So, their giving was much more than anyone would have expected them to give. They gave from what they had to meet the needs of others. They didn't give more than what they had, but they had to make a sacrifice. And when you think about sacrificial giving, what do you think about? There's a a variety of different things. And sometimes it's kind of hard to nail it down. As I was looking through stuff and reading things, there's really not one kind of common thing. But one thing that I've come to the conclusion of and the conviction of is that it's very personal. And so my simple definition would be giving to the point where you have to deny yourself something. You have to deny yourself something. Now, there are some other terms there that I'm going to give you. We're going to use that as our working definition. But it's giving to the point where you have to do without something for yourself. Or giving to the point where you have to give up something for yourself. Now, whichever those terms hits home with you, the point is still the same. It's giving to the point where you have to deny yourself something. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. You have something, and you're willing to give that up and make the sacrifice so that someone else's need can be met. I really like this quote that someone said. It says, every time you give sacrificially, you give a little of your selfishness away. And that's something I am always working on. Because we remember 1 Corinthians, and we'll look at that, that Christ died so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. And so every time you give sacrificially, you give a little of your selfishness away, your self-centeredness, your self-focus, because you're focused on God and others and their needs. Trusting God to always provide for you. So you give to the point where you have to deny yourself. There's a few things to consider. First, when you think about giving sacrificially, remember the principles for giving proportionately. Okay? God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have. We should not go into debt to give. It's unwise to meet a need knowing it will make you the one in need. Those are the big ones, right? So remember the principles of giving proportionately. And second, consider that opportunities for sacrificial giving are often the times God uses to expose our true heart toward giving. We can give from an abundance. We can give when we're blessed with a windfall. Sometimes sacrificial giving opportunities God uses to expose our hearts to how we really about giving to others as one person said this is where the rubber meets the road right where we get to practice what we preach we may say we could would give sacrificially but really when we're confronted with it confronted with denying something for ourselves to meet another's needs will we really follow through with that an amusing story is told of a preacher who went to see a farmer and he asked him he said if you had $200 would you give the church $100 he said oh yeah yeah if you had two cows would you give the Lord one cow he said oh yeah absolutely what if you had two pigs would you give the church one pig he said well that's not fair preacher you know I have two pigs Are you willing to give that up? What you have? It's easy to say it when we don't have it, in theory. But when you have it... Do you really live like those in Acts 2 and Acts 4... Who said not one of them claimed that anything that belonged to him was his own... And everyone's needs were met? It's really something we have to think about. And so in the meantime... Before the next opportunity comes up for sacrificial giving... You may want to practice sacrificial giving, but denying yourself something today in order to give more. And it could be something just as simple as the things that you like and that are habitually you give to yourself. You know, maybe some $5 coffee or, you know, internet for cable TV or eating out or something like that. And you, and you sacrifice. I'm, I'm going to give that up so that I can have that extra money to give to someone else. If I get coffee every day, that's five days at five bucks. That's 25 bucks. I can get one of those little uh, stars that Mrs. May has and send a Bible to somebody in Russia. But you think about that. And as you're making that sacrifice and as you're considering those things, you may consider it like fasting from that. And you can do, as Russ has said, you're praying for them as you are thinking about what you're giving up. So... You may want to practice a little bit of that. So that the next time sacrificial giving opportunity comes up, you're ready and you know how it feels and you know what it looks like and you'll do it joyfully, just as the Macedonians did. Another little note, I don't think it's in your notes here. If you're rich and have the ability to have whatever you want, anytime you want, You may want to give sacrificially so that you intentionally limit your own self-indulgence. You may want to think about that as well. We are blessed, most of us, with abundantly more than we need. And so we can sacrifice those things. And so sacrificial giving is giving to the point where you have to deny yourself something. There are some helpful truths when you're ready. And I say when you're ready because this is a personal thing and it takes some consideration, it takes some prayer. It's not easy sometimes to give sacrificially until you've learned how to do it with joy. So whenever you're ready, you may want to consider Philippians 2, 3, and 4. If you think about giving as giving away a little of your selfishness, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. In the context, just like Christ came and died for us. It's always amazing to be when we bring out these truths, when we're looking at them with a different frame of mind. When we look at that verse in a context of giving, we're like, oh, it still applies it is still a good application of it, but wow. Am I being selfish? Am I giving? Only thinking about myself? Or am I considering others as more important than myself? Also 2 Corinthians five fourteen. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he, all, he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So when you think about giving, giving is an act of grace when we give sacrificially. Giving to the point where you have to deny yourself something. So giving is an act of grace when you give sacrificially. Giving is an act of grace when you also give willingly. And these go together, but sometimes they have different contexts and where this particular one is helpful. We saw in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, verse 4 they were begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. They were willing, they were excited. And we should be the same way, right? Christians should be ready and enthusiastic when presented with opportunities to give. Not, oh, they're preaching on giving again. They're passing the plate again. Oh, Someone said, you give till it hurts, but it hurts me just to think about giving. That shouldn't be that way. We should be prepared, ready, and enthusiastic. We get the opportunity... To meet someone else's need. To be a conduit through which God uses to meet someone's need for his glory. What a blessing. We're excited to do that, right? The Macedonian churches didn't need to be asked to give. Nor did they need any pressure or any manipulation or any coercion. Their giving was voluntary and it was spontaneous, it was of grace. Not a pressure, and the more they were more than willing to share in the collection. They were begging to be included, begging to participate in this offering. When's the last time you begged for someone to take an offering at the church? We don't hear that much, but when we're ready and enthusiastic to give, we're, we're ready. We can't wait for that opportunity. They gave of their own accord, and they were spontaneous. They were self-motivated in giving what they believed the Lord wanted them to give. And they saw it as a privilege to give. Each one must do, as our memory verse says, just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, nor under compulsion, willingly. For God loves a cheerful giver. So we've got a few things that help us to see what might a willing attitude in giving look like. What might that look like? Well, if we are regularly looking for opportunities to give. We're looking for that. I'm like, oh, what's up? What's giving? What's happening? If we are eager to respond to opportunities to give. Something comes up, there's a need for a pastor or for a missionary or for some special thing or a need in the church Wow great I'm eager to respond I'm ready to respond and that's the next one if we are planning and preparing for opportunities to give when you're ready you're willing when you're surprised by it, it's like, well, I didn't really get bring any money. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't ready. I want to see if I can save. That's, there's a place for that, but when you're willing, it's like, I want to be ready. I am prepared and I am planning for opportunities to give. If we see giving as a blessed privilege and we don't want to be left out, that's nice. It's not a compulsion. It's not grudgingly. It's a privilege. That's the kind of outlook we need to have when we have a willingness to give. That's what it looks like. I'm ready. I'm looking for opportunities. I'm eager to give. I'm planning. I'm preparing. And I think it's a privilege to be able to give. I can't wait for the next thing that comes up, which might be right after this lesson. (laughs) It seems to have been that way lately. I don't know how God is doing, but that's all in His providence. That was not planned, so... But the last few weeks, we've had some opportunities to give. And I hope that you're taking advantage of that privilege. And if you're not, there's still time. So, I would encourage you to do that. Some other examples. Exodus chapter 35, verse 29. As we were looking at the free will offerings versus the tithes or taxes of the time. The Israelites, all the men and women whose heart was willing to bring material for all the work on the tabernacle for which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. Whoever had a willing heart. And that's the way giving has been throughout the Bible. Giving a free will offering from a willing heart that wants to meet needs and further God's kingdom. Remember Acts 2, 44 and 45. It's good to remind us of that. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions. And were sharing with all as anyone might have need, willingly. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them. And bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. They're just giving willingly. Selling what they have. Giving abundantly. It was wonderful. And it still is today. We see this happening in our church as well. People making sure the needs are met, and doing whatever is necessary. So Christians should be ready and enthusiastic when presented with opportunities to give. The next aspect of giving as an act of grace we find in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5, where he says there, after they were begging and urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. And he says, And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. The Macedonians' willingness to participate in the offering, even though they were suffering from extreme poverty, was because they had first given themselves to Christ. They understood his sacrifice. They understood what they had been giving. And so we can see they first gave themselves to the Lord. And giving as an act of grace stems from our devotion to Christ and his words. Now, you may give and unbelievers may give and different things and help charities and do stuff like that. But it's not an act of grace. Because they don't understand the grace of God. There are aspects that people do good things because they're made in the image of God and reflect His characteristics and things like that. And we can tell them that if they're an unbeliever. But they're not doing it for the glory of God. We do it for the glory of God. We do it as an act of grace because of our devotion to Christ and His words. And that's what he's talking about there when he says that They gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They were committed to us, to the apostles' teaching, to Paul's teaching, by the will of the Lord. And we are as well. We give ourselves to Christ, and then the word comes alive, and we are committed to the word, and we want to please God in every aspect of our lives, and we grow and change, and we learn things like how to give as an act of grace. So, how do we give ourselves to Christ? Good question, right? If we want to be able to give joyfully. Some people struggle with that. Well, how do we do that? Well, one way to do it is like the Macedonians did in Acts 16, right? We have that recorded for us in Acts 16. We're not going to read through the whole thing there, but we understand that Paul was on his second missionary journey. And in verse 11, or see verse 10, when he had seen a vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia. Because someone from Macedonia said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so he went over there. And when they arrived, on the, verse 13, on the Sabbath, he went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down, as Luke records it, and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And then in verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she had heard, and her whole household was baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Then they go on and they uh, exercise a demon out of a little girl. They get thrown in jail for that. And as they're in jail, they're singing hymns, and the earthquake happens. The doors are opened, and the jailer's about to kill himself because everybody's escaped and he's in trouble. And Paul says, Hey, don't kill yourself. We're okay, we're still here. And then he says to them, verse 30, What must I do to be saved? I want this God that you have. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house, and they took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized in all his household, and he brought them into his house, set food before them, rejoiced greatly, having believed In God. With his whole household. And so how did they do it? They heard the gospel. The Lord opened their hearts to respond. They turned to God and believed. And they began to share. What they had to meet Paul's needs. Pretty straightforward right? But. Just in case. You don't know the full gospel. I think it's important that we go over that. Because we want to understand. How to give ourselves to Christ. So that we can be cheerful givers, and give as an act of grace. And so let's walk through the truths of the gospel. The first thing we need to understand and believe is that God, the God of the Bible, is holy and sovereign. He is holy and sovereign. He is the creator and owner of everything. In Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Therefore, He has authority over all the earth and all it contains, including you and me. And He has the right to do with us as He pleases. He is perfect and holy. As Matthew 5:48 says, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You shall be holy as your heavenly Father is holy, as it says in Leviticus. We're required to be holy, and yet we can't be perfect. He requires us, he requires perfect obedience to his law, as James 2.10 says. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. So you must believe that the God of the Bible is holy and sovereign. He is creator. He owns everything. He is perfect and holy. He requires perfect obedience to his law. And you cannot be in his presence if you're not perfect. Well, nobody's perfect. Good point. You must believe that you are a guilty sinner. That you have broken God's law. Because Romans 3, 10 and 23 says, There is none righteous, not even one. No matter what you do, you're not righteous. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when you fall short of the glory of God, you cannot be in His presence. And the penalty for sin is eternal death in hell. For the wages of sin is death and eternal separation from God. And good works or intentions will not save anyone. It's not if you do more good than bad that you get to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. You have to be perfect. And no one can be. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done, even in righteousness but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit. we must also believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord. There is salvation in no one else. Jesus came to earth both as both God and sinless man. In Colossians 2 we see verse 9, For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He was God in human flesh. You have other passages as well, like John Chapter 1. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells, but it says he was the exegeted God to us. No one can see God at any time, but here, Christ showed us what God was like in a way that humans can understand in human form. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. All right, Jesus died on the cross to pay sin's penalty. So he came to earth as God, lived a perfect and sinless life, and he died on the cross to pay sin's penalty. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Jesus rose from the grave and is alive today. He died for your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. He absorbed the wrath of the Father. And he lived a perfect righteous life. He exchanged his life for yours. Paid your death penalty. And then he arose from the grave. Defeating sin and death for all time. And if you put your faith in him. His sacrificial death is credited to you. His perfect life is credited to you. And that's what we need. So that we can be perfect. In the eyes of God the Father. And not guilty in his justice. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And you also must accept that you must repent and believe. Repent or turn from all that dishonors God. As Isaiah 55, 7 says. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to your God, for he will abundantly pardon all of your sin. But you must turn to God, turn from your sin. And you must believe in Christ as Lord and Savior for forgiveness. Romans ten nine says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. And so the question we have to ask is, do you believe this? And we also have to ask, just in case you just believe the facts, will you repent? Have you repented? Because if you don't, there is no hope. You are apart from God without hope in this world. And your giving means nothing. But with God and with Christ, it means everything. Because you want to do it to please Him and to further His kingdom so that others can hear the truth and repent and believe. Because when we give ourselves to Christ, God changes us from the inside out. In John 3, Jesus talks to Nicodemus about, you must be born again about regeneration and he tells him, you are the teacher of israel and you don't understand these things well the teacher of israel should have understood these things because they're in the old testament in ezekiel 30 to 36 in ezekiel 36 it says moreover i have promised i will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and i will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and i will give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances God gives you a new heart that gives you a desire to know what he says, to know him, to be pleasing to him, and to know what the Bible says. And it's no longer foolishness to you. And you're like, oh, I can't wait to hear more. Like it says in 1 Peter, you long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. A new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Titus 2.11 says this... For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify himself for himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds, like giving. Zealous for that. Joyfully, willingly, excited to give. That's what that's about. One aspect among many. But that's what God does for us. He changes our hearts. The Macedonians had given themselves to Christ. And they were devoted to Him and devoted to His Word. And through this, God changed their hearts. And He produced a kind of giving that was truly an act of because they understood God's grace to them they gave willingly according to their ability beyond their ability joyfully because they had first given themselves to the Lord and when you give yourself to the Lord all that you all are and all that you possess is his anyway it doesn't matter you are a people for his own possession. And all that he gives you is for your good and his glory. And so, giving is an act of grace when we first give ourselves to Christ. And it stems from our devotion to Christ and to his words. And my hope is that you who are believers here, that the word of God is impacting you through first corinthians 16 and 2 corinthians 8 and 9 so that you can be more cheerful givers so you can settle this once and for all and it's no longer an issue and it's no longer a struggle and it's no longer a burden no more misunderstandings so when opportunities come you just do it and it's wonderful i hope that is what is happening in our hearts so we're going to move on now to the 10th part but As we go there, I want to remind you that we're moving into the next section of this letter, if you will. And we do have quite a bit to go, and we are in week four, and we do have two weeks left, and we will get there. Some of these go faster. The Macedonians were such a great example that they had a lot of evidences of grace in their life. But we're going to see more and more going along. And I'm not going to just rush through it and auction off this message like we used to say at home. When a preacher he runs out of time before he runs out of sermon and starts talking real fast and things like that, like I think I did the first week, um, you know, would just start auctioning it off. We'd start talking real fast and things like that. And so if I start doing that, raise your hand, I'll see that bid and we'll slow down. All right? So just let me know. We'll switch to decaf the next week. All right. But so we've gone through the Macedonians' example of grace giving, right? And it's a wonderful example for us and the church at Corinth. And second, in chapter 8, verses 6 through 15, you see the Corinthians instructions for grace giving. And that is where we're going to go next. In Second Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 6, we're going to look at verses 6 through 8 first. So I'll read those to us. You can turn there if you want. Second Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 6. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, speaking to the Corinthians, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness, and that the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. And so we find, first, that giving is an act of grace when we give as an expression of of love when we give as an expression of love giving you see there it says they were proving the sincerity of their love he asked them there in verse 8 proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also so giving is one of the clearest ways to demonstrate genuine love for others seems simple It's one of the clearest, tangible ways to demonstrate love. And love is active, right? It's a verb. It's not just a feeling. Feelings can come. But we love as an action, first and foremost. Now, we may remember from 1 Corinthians, if you have studied that or read that, that the Corinthians were zealous for spiritual gifts, right? And yet, they were misusing them, selfishly. And Paul sent his first letter to them through Timothy, to teach them that any spiritual gift not used in love was actually not pleasing to God. Because it was self-centered and not focused on the edification and the needs of the rest of the church. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. we Remember the love passage, right? Chapter 13 and verse 1. It says, if we speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned and do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And then it goes on from there. And so he had written to them about that, about this is how the spiritual gifts should be used, right? He points them back to that teaching here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and provides a way for them to manifest one spiritual gift actively, in their lives. They're all about these gifts, right? He says there, as you saw in 1 Corinthians 13, he says in verse 7 there, but just as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness, like we talked about before, now abound in this love that we inspired in you when we told you what true love is and how to use those spiritual gifts. And so, how about the spiritual gift of giving? It is a spiritual gift. If you go back to Romans chapter 12, in verse 8. I can get there. In verse 6 of Romans chapter 12, it says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them according to Accordingly, if prophecy according to proportion of faith, if service and serving, if human teaches and teaching, he who exhorts and exhortation, he who gives with liberality. So giving can be a spiritual gift as well. Some who have that gift love to give generously and liberally in all kinds of things as the Lord provides us. So here's a way for them to prove now that they understand what spiritual gifts are for. Here's a way for them to demonstrate that they understand what true biblical love is. Here's a way for them to show that God's grace is working in and through them by completing this act of grace, this gracious work, as it says, in giving to others unselfishly, generously, sacrificially. That's a big change from thinking of myself and using my gifts for my own glory. Now you have the opportunity to do that as well. If you will, here's another aspect of love, not included in 1 Corinthians 13. Love gives as an act of grace. And by the way, in verse 8 there, Paul continued by making it clear that he was not commanding them to do this. It needs to be not under compulsion, not grudgingly, but because you love them. He says there, I am not, verse 8, I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the uh, earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. I like the New Living Translation on this. It says, I am not commanding you to do this, but I am asking you to, to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of the other churches to give, who gave. So here's the Macedonians now. You've been taught about love, and here's one way to do it. So... Will you do this? And so giving is one of the clearest ways to demonstrate genuine love for others, especially from the Corinthians who had a zeal for those spiritual gifts. Here's a few things to consider. When we love someone, we're extremely generous toward them, aren't we? When we love someone, we readily make sacrifices to meet their needs, don't we? When we love someone, we regularly check to see if they have needs, don't we? But we can give without loving. But we can't love without giving. And so when you think about love, this is what we do. As one man said it well, when someone falls in love, he or she is extremely generous toward the loved one. Parents who really love their children can hardly restrain themselves from giving as much as possible to them. When we love very every, when we love a very good friend, we regularly look to meet their needs and give to them. But that's just how love responds, isn't it? So expressions of love from one believer to another will include elements of giving. You cannot love give without you can give without loving. That's just legalistic and because I have to. But you can't give. Love without giving, because true affection meets needs generously and is concerned for the other person. Some truths to remember that reflect this Matthew 22, 37 to 40. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. And the second is like it You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments depend the whole law on the prophet. You love them like that. I want to be generous, sacrificial, checking on them, making sure their needs are met. Do we do that with everyone and every opportunity to give? That should be our heart. And second, John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He loved us. He gave to meet our greatest need. 1 John 3, 16 is helpful too. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? is one of the clearest ways to generate, demonstrate genuine love for others and to prove that you have given yourself to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we we love you. We love you with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. And we want to be pleasing to you. And we want to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Would you help us to do this? To think of them as we think of our children, our friends, our spouses, our family, our church. To be willing to give whatever is needed. And we pray for those who don't know you that they would come to know you, that they would give themselves to Christ. That they would repent and believe. That you would grant them repentance. And they would experience the joy of salvation. Because of your gift that you gave to meet their need in Christ. Bring yourself glory in this. And may we all worship you together as we meet each other's need and give for your glory and our good